you. Go on ahead and sit in the back. See what happens. I'll come up on you. Uh, good morning, everybody. And uh, for those of you who are joining us online, good morning to you as well. Um, this thing is fixing to thump over on me. I don't want that to happen today. Yeah, that's better. Maybe a little better. So, um, if 2020 hasn't been weird enough, it got a little bit weirder this week with just um, everybody having to walk around and cover yourself and it's, uh, the caution is being raised higher and higher and higher and we're, um, man, we're trying to do um, everything we know as the right steps, the right things to do to, to try to alleviate something that none of us are familiar with. Um, I, I don't think anyone in the room has... Uh, experienced a pandemic, a global pandemic like this before. Um, I don't think anybody was, is old enough to remember um, the last one. Um, but it's a crazy time. It's, these are crazy times. 2020 has definitely been one for the books. Um, I forget who I was listening to. Some, we were talking, chatting, chatting it up the other day, and, and somebody said something about, man, um, I feel sorry for the person who has to write the history books for 2020, because it's just going to be kind of all over the map, you know, like, how do you capture what happened this year? Um, and I've had several conversations just really this week, I mean, in the past, but it seemed like it, come, it came up a lot this week, that people are asking, like, well, how's things at church? Like, how's things with your, with your church family and the Sunday mornings, how does that look? Um, and I, my response has been just like, it's been good, but weird. You know, like it's not normal. It just kind of feels different. Um, and I know a lot of you feel that on a lot of different levels because uh, church um, is a communal thing, right? Uh, and that's, that's what kind of identifies who we are. Um, and, and we're now being uh, kind of confronted with this idea that we have to kind of keep our distance and, and not live in community. And if you know us well here at Sulphur Community Church, you know that that's something that's uh, one of the... You know, next to Jesus Christ being our Lord and Savior, living in community with one another is, is, that, is the apex of who we are as a church. And so it's been weird. We've tried to do different things to kind of uh, keep people engaged with one another and keep people connected to one another um, while telling them to, to keep their distance. And so it's kind of, it, it's weird. Um, and so that's kind of how I've been explaining it to people. It's been good, but it's kind of been weird. Uh, and I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, I'll tell you this. Uh, as a leader in the church, uh, this is the absolute worst time I've ever experienced as a leader in the church, I'll be honest with you, um, because what I know is that decisions that we've been forced to make over the last few months, um, th there's not a right decision, right? So we can make a decision on something after we've prayerfully considered it and sought counsel and listened to experts and, and try to make a decision, and about 50% of the people will agree with the decision that we made, and about 50% of the people will not agree uh, with a decision that we made, and that's, um, it, it's, it's been tough, but when you raise your hand for leadership, that's what you're raising your hand to, to make tough decisions, and so that's what we've been doing, and so uh, for those of you who've uh, been extra gracious and extra patient with us, we appreciate it, uh, just know that your leadership has never had to deal with a pandemic either, um, and so this is all new territory for us as well, um, so thank you for that. And, 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 and kind of leading into that, I guess, I don't know about you personally, but uh, in, in, cons in considering kind of where 
uh, where we've come as a church, and especially the leaders of this church, um, me personally, I felt super small and insignificant and like not, um, I, I don't know, just, I don't know the word, I'm not in control like I like to be if that makes sense, because I'm a control freak uh, by nature, and I don't, uh, I don't have control of the situation, and God's just kind of confronted me about that, and he might be confronting a lot of us about that. Um, this is something big. This is something complicated, um, and it's challenged so much of what we thought was certain in our lives, right? It's everything that we had. I mean, how many people had sat down uh, at the beginning of this year and kind of charted out what 2020 was going to look like for you? Uh, and and you, you were just almost certain that this is kind of how it's going to play out. There's going to be some little bumps and turns in the road through 2020, but the reality is come March and everything got blown up, right? And so it kind of really confronts all of us that we're out of control of the situation, that we don't really kind of, uh, we don't really kind of hold the earth on its axis like we thought we did, right? Um, and so that's kind of some of the, that's the good and the bad of what's going on is it kind of we're confronted with the reality that uh, there's something other than us that actually controls the scene. Um, and then the bad part about that is we're not in control and we finally get to uh, embrace that, that reality. Um, and so what's our move then? What do we do once we kind of come to the reality, the realization that, okay, I'm not in control of the situation. I had a plan and I put all the resources and all the effort and all the energy to try to make sure that, that plan was going to be executed exactly how... I wanted it to go, and then um, hello pandemic uh, 2020, and so what do I do now? How do I, what's my next move now? Um, and as a church uh, who desires uh, to, to see our community, our, our neighborhood specifically transformed with the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come for them, that Jesus loves them, um, how can we as individual members of that expression of the local church possibly make a difference. Uh, as an individual of a church, um, regardless of how we're dealing with this personally, right? Because one of the things that we'll have the tendency to do is as individuals, we are by nature selfish. And so when something like this happens, we feel like it's happening to us and we can't see anything else in front of us except our own situation, our own, our own personal um, context. And so thinking about it now, I just kind of want to lay it out before you guys that we are still believers who still believe that Christ has come for this neighborhood and that he, is, uh, he has made the choice to use us as agents for this good news to go into this community and share the good news. That has not changed, and that will not change. That has not stopped. Uh, we have probably, in fear or uncertainty, kind of pulled back from that, but that, um, that's just, I'm going to just be honest with you, that's out of selfishness, that's out of inconvenience, that's out of fear of safety and things like that, that um, we try to kind of disciple out of one another here at this church. Um, and so there's, there's really no playbook for how to respond to something like this, right? There's, there's not like a, you know, here's how the church deals with pandemics. We don't have that manual. Um, but the early church didn't have a playbook either. They didn't have the instruction book. They didn't have the, the operating manual, so to speak, either. And so when I'm confused as, as a pastor of this church, when I'm unsure, when I'm uncertain, when I'm, when I'm kind of not real sure about what, what the next move's going to be, uh, I have the tendency to go back and look at the early church. Okay, like, what, what posture does the early church take in situations that are difficult that they really don't like? They are confronted with something that they don't really have the instructions, the next steps to go. How do they deal with that? 
And so I would typically start with the book of Acts, right? That's where you kind of see the, the early church being birthed, uh, and you see them faced with a lot of challenges and how they overcome those challenges. Um, and so what did they do when they didn't have a playbook for how to do church? Like, what did they do with that? And the opening chapters of the book of Acts, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, are really kind of summed up in one verse in the book of Acts. And it's in chapter 1, verse, the, verse 14, it says, all these, the whole church is what it's speaking of, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. So it kind of sums up the opening of the book of Acts and how did the church deal with the uh, uncertainty of things. How did, without a playbook, without the, the, the manual on how to deal with every circumstance and situation, how did they deal with it? Well, they were devoted to prayer. And that word devotion just kind of pops up in the book of Acts as it opens. You see that they're devoted to these things. Like when, when, when they say devoted, they, that's not like they're devoted to coming to a worship gathering on Sunday mornings. They were devoted to one another's lives. They were, they were intimately involved with one another day in and day out. That's why we are so passionate about community. That's why we're so passionate about being engaged with one another because that's how we see the early church functioning. And that's, we want to uh, try to emulate the early church as much as possible in the 21st century. And so in the midst of a, a global crisis, how can we who feel so small, how can I as a, a leader in the church feel so small and so insignificant, how can I possibly make a difference? How can you as a member of the church possibly make a difference? Um, based on what I can tell, church is not going to look normal for a, for a long while. It's not. It just The reality is it's going to be a while before things are going to feel like they did this time last year. But even in these, even in these strange, weird times, um, we may alternate between periods of boredom and, and moments of panic. Like we, we, we may find ourselves in that, but in that moment... What I hope we'll see today is that God has something for us in both of those moments. In that moment of boredom where we're just kind of idle, we're isolated, we're not sure what, you know, what we're going to do for the next month or whatever. Or this panic or this fear of what my life is going to look like in the next few months, I'm not sure. I think God has something for us in both of those moments. We've, again, we've never experienced a moment quite like we're experiencing um, right now. And while this situation is new to us... Um, the, uh, the church's calling has not changed. It hasn't changed. Whether it's a time of thriving, whether it's a time of, of peace, or, or if it's uncertainty because of a pandemic, the people of God are called to pray. We're called to, to devote ourselves to one another in prayer, just like we see in the early church. And that's not a last-ditch effort. That's not after everything else is burnt down around you, okay, now we need to get together and pray, because that's typically what we do. But instead, that should be the, the go-to. That should be the thing that we, we always run to. That should be our first response in everything is prayer, to devote ourselves to prayer. And so that's the question in this time, in this context that we find ourselves in. How do we pray? What do we pray for? What should we be asking God for? What should we all collectively be chasing after God for and asking him for? And that puts us in good company. Because the disciples had that same question for Jesus. They had the same question. They basically said, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, tell us how to pray. If you see, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to go there, we're going to jump in there in just a minute. But what we see, the account of Matthew chapter 6 is kind of 
the, the middle of the, the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, which is the greatest sermon of all times, and no one will ever be able to out-preach that sermon. Um, right in the middle of it, he, he captures how we are supposed to pray, and we've, we've come to know that as the Lord's Prayer. Um, and we see that kind of how it was prompted. If you look, um, we, we won't turn there, but you could just jot, it, jot your, uh, your notes there. It's in the Gospel of Luke, I think it's chapter 11, where you see the, the disciples asking him, teach us to pray. How, do, how are we supposed to pray? Um, and this was his response. The Lord's Prayer was his, was his response. And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, pray then like this. And if, if it's okay, let's all pray this together out loud collectively right now. And if you're online, you can do the same thing even if you're by yourself in your living room or whatever. But let's, let's, let's pray this together. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Some of, your, uh, some of you may have been familiar with another kind of concluding uh, uh, a part of that verse where it says, For thine is the power and the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Um, and so uh, I believe this prayer gives us marching orders. I believe it gives us resolve uh, for what we're supposed to do, especially in these unusual, unfamiliar days, these uncertain days. And right from the start, what Jesus exhorts us to do is to spend time daily with your Father. Spend time with your father. Possibly the most important thing that you can do in this time is to make sure that you are spending time with God every day. And, and some of you would refer to this as your quiet time, and that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm speaking of. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he, his opening words are, our father. So he's teaching us to pray to, to our father. He's telling us who our prayers are to be aimed toward. And that, that's important because this is not just a God in a general sense, some ethereal thing that's far off from us, but he brings it in close, brings it in personal, brings it in very intimately. You pray to your Father in this personal sense. It's that personal. And I know that the idea of God as, as Father can conjure up all sorts of emotions for people. I realize that some of you, when you think father, you think joy. Some of you think sadness. Some of you think longing. Some of you think disappointment. Some of you think anger. Some of you think confusion. Some of you think, oh man, just appreciation. Like, when you hear that word, it's a mixed bag. I get it. And I want to be sensitive to these emotions. I want to I I acknowledge the fact that that's a reality for so many people. That causes you to either run into the arms of God or to run a million miles away from him when you think of God that way. But whether you've had the best dad in the world or whether you've had the most crummiest dad in the world, neither compare to the goodness of God our Father. And, and Jesus wants you to understand he wants you to understand what he's trying to say, and he would explain it this way in the book of Luke, in that gospel, that, that reference uh, in chapter 11. What father among you, he says, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so Jesus is trying to explain just how good the Father is. That even, even a good Father on earth is just bound up in wickedness and evil. And He tries the best He can to, do, to give the gifts that He can give, to give the good gifts that He can give. He's gone. Let him, let him play. He's good. But he goes. He's out. But that's what Jesus is trying to do. Jesus is trying to comprehend, help us comprehend that the Father is far above the greatness that you think your own earthly father is in. So the best way I've found to comprehend this is to think about infants. Not toddlers, infants. Everybody back on me. (laughs) Think of an infant. Some of you have infants in your home right now. Some of you, a lot of you watching online is the reason why you're watching online is because you have infants at home, um, and that's where, that's where you feel safe right now. Um, so for the, here's the deal. Infants, they, they do not exist apart from the will of the parents, right? Like it, an infant is absolutely helpless, and if the parent doesn't engage full-time, that infant's going to have a hard time surviving. It won't exist apart from that parent engaging all the time. Infants add no value to the home, like physical, tangible value. They bring joy. They bring a lot of um, weariness. Uh, they bring a lot of happiness. But they, they don't help you out at all in the house. They don't add that kind of value to your home. Yet you gladly and you joyfully take care of them, right? Because the parents delight in them. Mom and dad, you delight in that baby, even though, especially in the early days, they add little to no value to what's happening in the household. They only create work for you. They only create sleepless nights for you, but you love them. You value them, value them, you adore them, and you take care of them. Parents love their babies. And likewise, you exist only because the Father wills it. The only reason that you are here is because God the Father has you here. And you continue to exist only because the Father wills it. Because He is in control. You don't bring anything to the table, so to speak. And I love that. I was having a conversation with a friend just this past Sunday. We were having coffee, and we talked about that. What's interesting, when you read the creation account, what you see is that God creates everything and then humanity lasts. Just to tip his hat to say, I don't need you to sustain anything. The birds of the air are flying, the fish of the sea are swimming, the beasts of the fields are roaming, and everything is thriving, and you don't exist. So that's what I mean when I say, you don't bring anything to the table. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He was fine before you and I were here. But he loves you. He loves me. He loves us not because of what we've done, not anything we can accomplish, but because in his heart, he has just decided to love you. That's what kind of God we have. That's what kind of father we have. What do Ashley and I want for our children? What do we want them to know about their parents? That we are loving enough to listen to them. 
that, that we are strong enough to meet their practical needs, that we can actually pull it off, that we are wise enough to know when and how to meet those needs, that we are committed to their good. That's what we want our kids to know. So, the, so here's the deal. Mom and dad, for the rest of your living long days, when you look at your baby, I want you to think of your theology. I want you to think about what you know about God when you look at that baby and you see helplessness, utter dependency, bringing nothing back, but because out of your own heart you are choosing to love that baby, I want you to think about God in that moment and how he thinks of you, that he loves you apart from anything that you have done or haven't done. He has made a decision to love you. And in a time like this where we're filled with with storms, with fear, with anxiety, and with pain, and with questions, and absence, let's be a people who are resolved to spend time with our Father. That's what Jesus is urging us to do. He is the one who controls the winds and the waves. He is the one whose peace is personified in Christ, the one who, he is our solid ground that we stand on. And that's, that's our Father. And there's so much that is uncertain right now. There, there's so much, but, but one thing is that God's presence is with us. That's certain. I don't know what's going to happen this week. There's going to be a lot of data that's going to be thrown at us this week and a lot of decisions that's going to kind of result from the data that's thrown. And I don't know if we're going to go in the right direction or the wrong direction. I don't know if you're going back to work this week. I don't know if school's going to look like this or look like that for you. But one thing I can be certain of is that God's presence is with you. His presence is with me. There's a lot that we can't count on right now, but we can count on that. 100% reliable. And then Jesus continues in this, kind of giving us our marching orders, orders for what we are to do, how we're supposed to pray. And he says this, spend time with your father daily and seek his glory above everything else. Above everything else, you seek his glory, hallowed be your name, is how he says to, to start that prayer. The first thing Jesus tells us to ask God for is not anything to do with us, but everything to do with him. Before you bring your request to him, you make sure that you're after his glory first and foremost. That he would make his name set apart, that he would make himself holy, that he would hallow himself in the hearts of every person. And I want you to just let that sink in for a minute. The first thing. The first thing that you're supposed to pray when you pray, the head of the list, the top, the one above all the others, the most central, the most supreme, all-encompassing, all-influencing, all-controlling concern is that God would make his name number one, is that God would make his name holy, that he would set himself apart, that he would become the most valuable, most important thing in every human heart. That's what we're to beg God for when we come to him in prayer before we ask for anything else. And I think Jesus tells us this because he knows that by by doing this, it it forces us to think more than just ourselves. Because we have the tendency to do that. We have the tendency to kind of just run after our own needs and our own kind of desires before anything else. We're prone to do that. And so praying for God's glory above all else means that we're forced to stop and to think about Like, what's God's purpose in all of this? What is God trying to do in all of this? And the way we start is like, God, just set yourself apart in the eyes and the hearts of every person. 
I want to know what you are doing, God. I don't want, to, I don't want you to interpret my circumstances right now. I want to just know what, what, you, what are you doing, God, and give me the power of the Holy Spirit to follow you in whatever it is that you're doing and to be uh, at peace for that. One of the most helpful ways to seek God's glory when you're praying, just a little practical tip, that, that whenever you're praying, you, you, you add to your prayers so that in all of your requests. See, we'll have a tendency to lose the end to the means, right? And we, we'll, just, we'll just pray for things that we feel like we want. But if you, start, if you start practicing so that in all of your prayers, that will ensure that what you are praying for is the advancement of God's glory, the advancement of his kingdom above all else. So it sounds like this. God, stop this disease. Stop the disease. Stop the pandemic so that people could see your power. When doctors fail, when, when the most intelligent people in the world fail at it, God, would you stop it so that the world would know that your name is to be hallowed, that you are all-powerful, that you are the supreme of all things. So God, would you do that? God, would you, would you keep us safe so that we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to places like China and to the Middle East, where they are also dealing with a pandemic apart from the gospel. You see how, how much more hope we have, that we are dealing with the same thing, but we have the gospel. So God, would you keep us safe? Would you keep us healthy? Not just for my own good, but so that you could use me in a way that's going to bring you glory. God, please pro provide for my family during this time so that we can show the world that you've been our provider all along. You see, adding so that to your prayers is going to help you stay focused on the glory of God. Why do you want those things? And I pray that God would root out any selfishness, any selfish ambitions that you have in your prayers, because that's what prayer is about. Prayer is about conforming your heart and your life to God and to his image and to his character. So God, would you provide for the poor in this season so that they would know that you are near to the brokenhearted? that you are near to him, that you notice him, that you see them. This week, when you set time aside to, to pray, what Jesus is telling us to do is to seek God's glory above all else, that that be the number one priority. And then, then he says that he wants us to labor for our community to be healed like heaven is, is. And that's why he says in verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and one of the things that we have to balance, and I've struggled with this, I'm going to be honest with you, and I've talked to a few of you in the room about this, is being able to balance being the hands and feet of Jesus during this time and trying to, be, uh, trying to obey and cooperate with, with distancing and all of these other things. And we've had some phenomenal people in our church who's been able to kind of uh, embody that, that balance of, of trying to, to obey the authorities whenever they're trying to give us guidance and, and, and there's issue and mandates at the same time being the hands and feet of, G of Jesus. At the same time, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, helping those who are most in need. And that's a delicate balance of wisdom for a believer to do that, right? Because right now, hey man, like if, if our heart's not to serve, then this is a great excuse and opportunity just to recoil back and sit in my house and not have to do anything. Can't go serve my neighbor because I'm, you know, I'm quarantined or whatever. But there has to be a balance because the call of the church has not changed at all. It doesn't matter what circumstance we're in. The call of the church is to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth no matter the cost. You understand that? No matter the cost. 
And so one way we can, we can all love our neighbors and our community well is by praying for them. Right? And I know that it's like, oh, well, that's just a cop-out. Like, no, 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 that's the number one response. That's our first response in everything we do is to pray for them. Jesus didn't say, your kingdom come, your will be done, as long as it doesn't place you in any, at any personal risk. So, yes, we will be going. But God says in Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Church, this is our greatest calling right now. Our greatest calling to be people who humble ourselves, recognizing that we don't have all the solutions to this situation, man. We don't have answers to it, uh, but we also proclaim that we do have the ultimate solution to humanity's problem, that we do have Jesus and in his name and by the power of the Spirit, we now have this opportunity to, to stand in the gap for our community, to stand in the gap for our neighbors, to stand in the gap for our health care workers and our government officials and everybody with the light of Jesus. That's the opportunity that we do have, that we stand in the gap and that we, we beg God to make his kingdom come on earth and in our community as it is in heaven. If ever there was a time for us to, to rise up with bold prayers, it's, it's today. It's right now. We are the people of Jesus. We are the followers of Jesus. And Jesus is this Savior who weeps with those who are weeping and those who are sad. He's a Savior who, who has entered into our pain and experienced it with us. A Savior who sympathizes with us in every single way, but he's also a Savior who one day will be coming back and will wipe away every tear from every eye. So we're a rare breed of people. You understand that? Like we, we can simultaneously rejoice in the hope that we find in Jesus while also being patient in tribulation, being patient in a time like this. Because we know that our God ultimately defeats sin, that he ultimately defeats death and disease and sadness. And so we kind of, we have this, we're a rare breed of people that we know these two things to be true and that we can exist in them. And that's what Paul would say in Romans 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. And so in the meantime, between rejoicing in hope and, and patience in tribulation, that's just what we'll do. We'll be constant in prayer, laboring and longing for this community to be healed like heaven, to look like heaven on earth. And then Jesus goes on to say that you need to believe today that you have everything that you need today. And that's what he says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And so for, for many of us, this is the first time in our lives uh, where we have been forced to take life literally one day at a time. That's where we're at today. I don't know what's happening tomorrow, do you? Like, how, what's tomorrow going to look like? You know, at this point, we're just kind of done making plans, or at least putting them in concrete, right? Not because we're choosing to, but because really that's all we can handle. Like, I can't deal with any more disrupted plans. I'm going to lose my mind. So, I'm just going to take it a little bit at a time. That way, if something gets messed up, it's not, it's not a big deal, right? That, and that's kind of where we are. We're forced to be in that place. We can't plan for the future because we don't know what kind of new restrictions are coming for us this week. We might not be able to wear shoes this week. I don't know. We'll see when we get there. 
We're literally living day to day. And if you're like me, that's not very liberating. It's not. It drives me up the wall. It's frustrating. I like to have control. I like to have a plan. That's just by my nature. I I like knowing what to expect tomorrow. I like knowing what to expect next week. I am a planner, and I naturally create every step to accomplish a goal. That's how I think. That's how I do. And not just like, yeah, like a week here we'll do this, a week there we'll do that. No, I'm talking about every single step is what I think about when I'm trying to accomplish a goal. And so moments like, like these is very confronting. It's very frustrating. It's very much out of my control. And so I'm being forced to reconcile with the fact that Apart from salvation, Jesus never promises a plan or offers a clear path for us. He doesn't do that. He tells us to ask God for that day to give us what we need for that day. And that's it. And that's kind of, I don't know about you guys, you really need to be confronted with this. I'm confronted with this. Because in our context, that's not at all how we operate. All right? like Let's show of hands, 401k savings accounts, let's talk about them. You got them? That's the antithesis of what Jesus is teaching about right now. But it's very natural to us. I've got one. I'm raising my hand. Nobody else raised your hand. That's okay. Y'all all liars. It's fine. We all do this. We all have this. It's all very much normal and natural for us. But when you sit there and pray, God, give me just for today what I need for today, you know you're praying against all of your practices that you kind of have embedded in, in your life. At least that's how I feel about it. And that's it, right? Like, he tells us to ask God to give us this day our daily bread. He tells us to ask God for what you need today and believe that God will meet you there that day, in that moment, at that time, with that need. Being resolved to believe that today I have everything I need for today. I have no idea about tomorrow, and I'm not even going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to ask God to fill that need when I get there tomorrow. But today, God, can you fill the need today? That's it. If I have Jesus, I can truly say, I have enough. If I have Jesus, I can truly be still and know that he is God, God, the God who is in control, who is sovereign, who is my provider, and that he's going to meet all of my needs in Christ Jesus, that he will do that. I know how easy it is to focus on everything else, that's seemingly going wrong around us, that's falling apart around us, but can we just take a moment as a church and thank God for the ways that he's provided for us. Seriously, like I want us to do this, do this right now, where we're at. I want us to take maybe just 60 seconds to just, in our own place, in our own prayer time, fill in this blank. Father, thank you for providing for me today by blank. So take just a few seconds and let's do that. Let's thank God for what he's done for us today. And Jesus says, forgive to the measure that you've been forgiven. He goes on to say, here's your next step. Think about how much you've been forgiven in Christ. That's the measure to 
the forgiveness that you have to show. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus links God's forgiveness of you with your forgiveness of people. He puts those two together, and they are completely and forever linked. When you think about whether or not you should forgive someone for anything at all, you think about the forgiveness that Christ has shown you. That's the measure to which you are to forgive. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Well, if you go just a few chapters into Matthew, into chapter 18, Jesus explains exactly what he means when he says this, and he does it by telling the story, how he always does. And, and at the end of the story, Pete, well, to prompt the story, in, in chapter 18, verse 21 of Matthew, Peter would come up to him and say, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And it's interesting if you know the context. Jesus had just finished talking about what you're supposed to do when your brother sins against you. And basically, it's to forgive to the measure that Christ has forgiven you, which is unending, which is limitless. And so Peter comes up with that question, and and basically Jesus says, if someone hurts you, you go go to them and seek reconciliation. Not if, if someone has hurt you, if someone's done something to you, it's not on them to kind of get over it and then come to you and make it right. If someone's done something to you, you go to them and seek reconciliation. And in the midst of that, you almost get the sense that Peter's concerned that his forgiveness might be abused, right? And this is how we do. Well, I mean, I'll forgive them, but what if they, what if they don't repent? Like, what if, I mean, what if they don't care? What if they do it to me again? I keep forgiving them, they keep doing it to me again. Almost like your forgiveness is being abused, right? That's how we do, and this is how Peter does. Peter does the same thing. So this is very relevant in the 21st century. That's the way Peter's responding. And so Peter asks him the question, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And, and he doesn't just ask the question, but he goes ahead and offers Jesus a suggestion. Like, Jesus, what do you say? About, about seven times? Be good enough? And you need to know the context in which he's saying this because the religious teachings of this day, the rabbinic literature would teach a Jewish man that you were to forgive a person three times and that's all you're, that's all you're, you're, you're on the hook for. And so Peter, thinking he's going to, you know, he does what Peter does. He's going to show Jesus how awesome he is. He's like, I'll do it seven times. That'd be, that'll work. And so he's trying to look awesome and Jesus says, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. At the end of the day, what Jesus is saying is that you don't count. You don't try to count the amount of times you're, you have to forgive someone. That's not what it's about. He's saying that when someone wrongs you or hurts you or offends you, your basis for forgiving them, for, for letting them off the hook, is that he forgave you. That's the basis for how you forgive other people. It's about the cross. It's about this good news, it's about the gospel that we know to be true, that we've done everything against God, yet he came after us and crossed heaven and earth to get to us with the cross to to pave the way for reconciliation when we did nothing, not a step towards him, but he took the whole route to us. That's the gospel, that's what we know. And so if you have, you you just got to know if you're a believer, brother or sister, you have the ability and the power to forgive people. You, you have that in you no matter what they did to you. No matter how much they harmed you, you have the power in you through the Holy Spirit to forgive to the measure that Christ has forgiven you. 
And then this last exhortation that Jesus gives us is to fight against the evil one, to fight against the schemes of the evil one. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Satan does, let me tell you something, he does some of his greatest work when he can get us in isolation. And guess where we find ourselves right now? You want to know why it's been so urgent for us as leadership here at this church to try and find a thousand different ways to keep you engaged in any community with one another? It's because of this reason right here. The enemy can isolate you and he can have his way with you. And that's very important for us to know. And that's something that Jesus is asking us to, to, to he's exhorting us to pray that we fight against the schemes of the devil, to, to fight against the schemes of the evil one. Right now, believer, brother, sister, you have a target on your back right now. And First Peter would say, you need to be sober-minded. You need to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There is an enemy who is seeking after you to devour you. And, and isolation is the place where he can have his way. And guess what? The world is encouraging all of us to get into isolation. And so you see, the, you see where we're at as a church in this funny way. We know that that's a dangerous place to be. And somehow, some way, we need to find a, a means to stay connected and engaged with one another. This enemy is going to seek to devour you, and he'll do it in all kinds of ways. He'll make you, he'll make you stingy instead of generous. He, he, he's going to make you view others as threats rather than people who are worthy of your love, who are worthy of your compassion, who are made in the image of God. He'll distort that view. He'll make you believe a lie that you are all alone, that you are all alone in your fear, that you are all alone in your anxiety and in your depression and in your isolation. He'll make you believe that. He'll tell you that lie, and you will believe it. Because there's no one speaking truth into you in isolation. And the only way to combat the schemes of the evil one is by meeting him with the schemes, uh, that, meeting his schemes with our scriptures, right? And that brings us back to the very number one part of spending our time daily with God. That goes all the way back to that opening statement that Jesus says, open your Bible, read his promises, reflect on this good God. Don't just be in defense, right? Be, but go on the offense. We don't we don't, as believers, we don't fight for victory. That, we're fighting from a place of victory, something that Christ has already done for us. And so let's be resolved to fight against the evil schemes that are coming after us. And let's do it together. In a time of isolation and stay away from one another, this is something we can do together. We can, we can pray this together. We can do this together. And I've read the Lord's Prayer. I don't know how many hundreds of times you've read it, how many hundreds of times that you've recited it from memory. But going through it this time was the first time I really tri it triggered for me this, this week when I was studying this text. Do you notice how everything in that prayer is plural? Everything in that prayer is plural. Our Father in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Christianity is a very communal thing even in our prayers. So that's something that we can, we can do together. It's a reminder that even if we're physically separated that spiritually we can remain together. We can do this together. And so let's Let's take these resolutions, let's get, have this resolve and let it drive us deeper into that good news this week as we think about how we're supposed to respond, that we'll spend time daily with our Father. 
knowing that he is a good father and that he hears our prayers, that he's with us, he's present with us 100% to seek his glory above all else. How do we pray in a way that's going to seek God's glory above all else? We end every request with so that. God, I'm asking for this so that this will happen, so that your glory would be made known, to see that our neighborhoods and see that the nations be healed like heaven, that God's kingdom would come into these places as it is in heaven, to believe that today, Sunday, the 19th of July, that I have everything I need till the end of this day. And I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own troubles and it will worry about itself. We'll get there. And then we'll ask God to fill those needs there. To forgive to the measure that we've been forgiven. And to fight against the schemes of the enemy. So that's something that we can do together even though we're physically apart. And that's a challenge that Jesus has laid out for us as we, as we consider how we, uh, how we respond in, in a, just a weird time. And having no clue, I think that just, you know, we've... We've planned this, um, this series uh, last year. We, we kind of charted it all out. Um, and that's so far, that's one of the plans that hadn't been completely blown out of the water yet. Um, and so I think it's fitting that we land here today where we are and kind of in the circumstances that we're in, that this is, the, this is God's word for us today. Um, and so uh, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to close. Um, and so now we know how to pray, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray over us right now, just the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll, we'll close. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, would you set that prayer in our hearts? Um, and God, would you bring to reminder this week, as we think about this prayer that you've taught us, how we can engage the world in this crazy moment, how we can, um, how we can participate in what it is that you're doing. One thing certain, Father, that you are with us and that you are seeking after your glory in every single circumstance, including this one. So God, teach us as we pray these words. Would you teach us what you're doing in this world? Would you teach us how we might meet you in the places that you're working? enlighten us through the Holy Spirit to, to give us words of, of comfort and encouragement and peace to, to speak to people who are so uncertain and so worried and afraid right now. Use us as agents for uh, peace and goodness in this world and start doing that in our own hearts. So for those who are, uh, who are battling with anxiousness and anxiety right now because of just the uncertainty. Father, I pray that you would uh, that you would blow your wind of peace into their hearts right now, knowing that you are in control of absolutely everything and not one worry in the world is going to change your plan and your purpose. And that you would just mold our hearts and our lives to just to get in sync with what you're doing in this world. 
that you would cause our eyes to lift up and to look and see where you're working and go and join you in that place. Regardless of safety, regardless of risk, but because you called us to do it. And that you're going to be with us. So Father, we don't want to miss out on what you're doing. God, I don't want to miss out on what you're doing. And it's easy for me to get caught up in my frustrations and get caught up in the the reality that my plans are not even plans anymore and forget the fact that God you were calling me you were calling us to something so much bigger than our current situation our current circumstance thank you for all the things that you've given us today not one gift that you've given us today Father we deserve but out of your graciousness and your love for us, you've made the choice to give us gifts. You've made a choice to meet our needs and to meet us in those places of needs. Thank you for your grace, Father. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you have made a way for us to even address you as Father, as personal as that may be. I pray, Father, for those in this room that that's a dirty word. That that word means hurt, that hurt, that word means disappointment, that word means absence. I pray, Father, that you would that you would provide the gift of healing for today in the person's life who needs healing in that place. And Father, we want your glory ahead of all of these things, ahead of every need that we have personally would your glory be made known would you would you set apart your name would, would you make your name hallowed in the hearts of every single person we love you father we thank you for your word we thank you that you meet us here in your word and that you speak to us through your word